When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, a daily rundown of all things Vice. It's Wednesday, February 21st. I'm Chris Hurdy. Today, we'll hear about one of America's most influential culinary figures, an African-American cook and writer named Verdame Smart Grosvenor, who has arguably not received the recognition she deserves. But first, the headlines. On Monday, the Kremlin shrugged off special counsel Robert Mueller's indictment of 13 Russians and three Russian companies on charges related to U.S. election meddling. Russian officials said that the charges did not prove Russian state involvement. On Tuesday, Israeli police revealed that they had arrested several friends and confidants of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who faces allegations of corruption. These arrests were part of an investigation known as Case 4000, which centers on two of Netanyahu's associates and potentially the prime minister himself. The case is investigating whether or not they pushed legislation that would funnel hundreds of millions of dollars to Israel's largest telecom, Bezek, in exchange for favorable coverage of Netanyahu on their subsidiary news site, Walla. Basically, they're trying to find out if he's paying for good press. And... At least 100 people, including 20 children, have been killed in a recent surge of attacks by Syrian government forces on the rebel-held pocket of eastern Gouda outside Damascus. According to reports, the carnage included strikes on four makeshift hospitals and the use of indiscriminate barrel bombs, which are banned under international law, as well as rocket and artillery fire. And now, here's the news you won't get anywhere else. To this day, the chef and writer Verdame Smart Grosvenor remains an obscure historical figure, despite her incredible influence on the culinary world. But it's time she got her due. Smart Grosvenor was a food writer and culinary anthropologist, an actress on film and Broadway, a backup singer for Sun Ra's Solar Myth Orchestra, and a correspondent on NPR. But she is, perhaps, most well-known for her trailblazing 1970 cookbook memoir, Vibration Cooking or The Travel Notes of a Geechee Girl. Here's Vice's Ankita Rao speaking with Munchies writer Mayuk Sen about Verdame Smart Grosvenor and her influence on modern-day American food writing. What got you interested in writing about Verdame? Um, I first encountered Verdame Smart Grosvenor's uh, food writing when she died in September 2016. That was just when I was getting into food writing as a discipline, and I was coming at it from a completely different approach than most other food writers uh, who... I find are very interested in cooking as a discipline and, you know, have more traditional food backgrounds. And I read Vibration Cooking or Travel Notes of a Geechee Girl, which was this landmark cookbook slash memoir she wrote in 1970. And I was so drawn to just her prose and how free and, uh, I don't know, like radical it seemed, you know, the way that she kind of wove and flip registers between memoir and, you know, recipe and cooking uh, writing was really fascinating to me. And it 
seem to suggest that there is a possibility for someone like me to succeed within this discipline and industry because, you know, um, it showed me that food writing doesn't have to just be all about recipes and, you know, very traditional and stodgy and strict. Walk me through her life and how she became this important figure. So she was born in 1937 in South Carolina's Low Country, and when she was 10 years old, she moved to Philadelphia with her parents. In both places, she grew up speaking Gullah, which is this Creole dialect, basically. You know, when she was in Philadelphia, she felt very alienated because she was this tall, lanky, awkward black girl who a lot of people made fun of, and she wrote very vividly in Vibration Cooking about being shamed for the food that she ate, you know? Like, she had been raised eating rice three times a day, and, you know, she was the only person she knew who did that. Um, And she was made fun of a lot in school. And then after high school, she uh, moved to Paris because she was really inspired by Josephine Baker because she wanted to be an actress originally, and she kind of went there with aspirations of being a performer. And that kind of sort of worked out. You know, she did act on occasion throughout her career, but um, she met a man who she later married and then moved back to New York with, and then she had her first child in the early 60s. And then the 60s is when we really start seeing Verdame kind of move into food writing very, very slowly. Throughout the 1960s, she started working on a manuscript that eventually became Vibration Cooking, uh, which was her 1970 cookbook memoir, which is pretty much what she's most well-known for today. What sort of effect did Vibration Cooking have on food culture? Because like you said, it's a huge departure from the sort of formulaic, very measured recipes. And she has all these amazing anecdotes, and a lot of her recipes are about people she knows How has that translated over the years? In its day, when it was initially published in 1970, you know, it was kind of seen as this novelty and something of an anomaly within this landscape of food writing, specifically black food writing, because, you know, one of my sources, for example, Ronnie Lundy, she spoke very eloquently about how a lot of black food writers operating within that period, you know, would feel kind of stymied into writing for white audiences, even white liberal audiences who expected a black food writer who is a woman to write about soul food and collards and chitlins, etc. And she did not do that. And I think that only decades later are we kind of sizing up what her impact really was with this book. You know, she was writing about appropriation before we had a name for that, you know? Like, she writes so much about how white people discover certain foods that she had grown up eating and repackage it as something new and shiny when she'd grown up being shamed for eating that kind of food, you know? And so I think that it's taken some decades, and I think that, honestly, it did take her death for a lot of people to kind of understand how how large her impact is and how many people she did influence. I feel like, you know, people like her and James Baldwin sometimes are even more relevant now than they were when they came out. I think, you know, some of those narratives are just so important to us at this moment. And part of what you write about is her involvement with her community and feeding the Black Panthers through a program that they had. Tell me a little bit about how her work was interwoven with the Black community. So after she came back from Paris in the 1960s, she lived mostly on the Lower East Side uh, with her two kids, and she was very heavily involved in her community, whether that was through uh, performing in Sun Ra's orchestra, you know, their band, and also participating in the free breakfast program put on by the Black Panthers. So she had this philosophy that was 
think globally but have a local address, which meant that she wanted to raise global citizens but make sure that those people were interacting with their community all the time. And I think that for her, interacting with these communities was its own form of nourishment. I thought it was interesting that vibration cooking wouldn't have even happened if not for her daughter, Kali, who was a poet. What was it like speaking to her daughters and her family? I was very happy to have gotten access to both Kali and Chandra, her surviving daughters. Um, and it's tough because Verdame died so recently. She died in September 2016. I think that grief is still kind of clouding over both of those daughters. I talked to both of them for hours and they're both really intense conversations because they have such vivid memories of their mother. And I think one thing that was clear in all those conversations I had with her family and her daughter specifically is that there's a sense that she really has not gotten her due. And when it's your mother that you're talking about, you know, that hurts even more. Why was that? Why wasn't she seen as the revolutionary food critic and cook that she was? And is that changing now? Yeah, I would say that she really defied kind of, you know, this expectation that food writers just stick to recipes in the most traditional, measured way possible. You know, she just completely broke down that barrier in a way that surprised a lot of people back in the day because it struck them as kind of like, this is a novelty book. This is kind of a weird like thing that we don't really know what to do with. Now, thankfully, thanks to scholars like Tony Tipton Martin, who's one of my sources in the story, we are finally seeing this resurgence of interest in these Black women who built so much and fortified so much of our understanding of food within America and foodways. And I think that appreciation, finally, of women like Verdames Mark Rovner is, you know, finally uh, being enabled. They did not get their due in their day. You know, the least that we could do is pay them those dues in death. To read the full article, go to munchies.vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. And tune in again tomorrow for another Vice Guide to Right Now.